This is Meatless, a podcast about eating. I'm Alicia Kennedy, a food and drink writer. I'll be having conversations with chefs, writers, and more about how their personal and political beliefs determine whether or not they eat meat. The show will ask the question, how do identity, culture, economics, and history affect a diet? To break from the script a bit, I have a programming note. Uh, I've strived to make this podcast not about selling anything, which becomes difficult when I want to talk to people who make certain things like nut milks, for example, or the butter in today's episode that they also sell. I hope it still makes for interesting episodes because I do want to continue talking to people on the show who make the new vegan products that people are going to be curious about. So in this episode, I talked to Aidan Altman and Andrew McClure, the founders of Fora Foods and makers of Faba Butter, made principally with coconut oil and aquafaba, or chickpea brine. It's available at Eataly, but retail isn't for its focus. They're targeting chefs at many non-vegan restaurants, hoping to become a pastry staple. We talked about how working on this project inspired them to go vegan, why corporate agriculture is everyone's enemy, and why aquafaba has gone mainstream. Hi, Aiden and Andrew. Thanks so much for uh, being on Meatless with me. Thanks for having us. So, so can you each tell me about your backgrounds in food? Yeah, definitely. Um, so out of college, Andrew and I moved to Chicago together. Um, I started my first food company. So I had like a snack food CPG brand. Um, and then Andrew. Yeah, I was working in investment banking. So mergers and acquisitions. Company A in the food and bev space wants to make a lot of money. So they try to find company B. And then my bank was the intermediary between the two. And so I did that for two years. When did you guys meet? Uh, well, we knew each other in college, but we joined forces to start Fora about a year and a half ago while we were still living in Chicago, uh, and then we moved out to New York uh, in order to, to you know, launch this thing. Are either of you vegan, or have you been vegan? Yeah, we're both vegan. And when did you start being vegan? Uh, probably about a year ago, I would say. A year and a half ago. Yeah. So did you kind of go vegan while you started the company? Um, well, we went vegan like kind of right beforehand. And then, uh, you know, it became even more pressing once we started the company and really started to, like, delve into the deep statistics on why factory farm products are so bad for the planet and for ourselves and every stakeholder involved. Cool. And what ins- was that mostly your motivation for going vegan? Was kind of ecological or? Yeah, I would say the, the environmental factors are really important to me, um, but I'm sure that most people our age, you know, 25 to 30 understand, like, we grew up eating freaking pizza rolls and, like, Hot Pockets for every meal of the day, and, like, that shit is not good for you, and when you actually start to look at where it comes from, it just, it's not real, and it's not nutritious, and um, as we get older, we're like, okay, well, we don't feel, like, in good conscience we can still eat this stuff anymore, but quite frankly, a lot of the alternative products on the market are not good. Right. And they're kind of that vegan 1.0 product, right? Uh, especially when it comes to butter, uh, which is obviously an industrialized factory farm produced product. Um, you have the alternatives, which are you know, buttery spreads and margarines. And they're, they don't taste good. They don't function well. And they're just made up basically of a bunch of oils. Right. Uh, so we said, 
let's go and recreate butter. Let's like reimagine uh, what butter can be, but still while offering like the exact same experience that we had, these indulgent foods that we grew up on. Yeah, and I would say uh, when you start digging into it, the plant kingdom is very vast. And someone that hasn't dug into any of these topics thinks that when someone says vegetables or vegan or vegetarian, it's just a salad. And that was probably my interpretation up until this thing started. And you talk to some people who have already been on the plan and they know way more than you do. You listen to some podcasts, you watch some documentaries, you read some books, some essays, and it becomes very clear that uh, you have a lot of options and there's there are millions of different ways to make delicious food where you aren't really compromising on taste or nutrition or experience uh, by making the switch. Was there something that was specifically very inspiring to you? A book, an essay, a movie? Mm, I think Food Inc. was probably the first one that kicked it off. Mm -hmm. That seems to be similar for a lot of people because it was like Oscar nominated and it really had a platform that most of these other resources have not gotten. Uh, and I think it's merited too. We've seen some stuff in the, the wider vegan vegetarian discourse that, uh, it's kind of a, a cherry picking of facts yeah. to convince someone. And I think that that documentary was pretty fair. And I think everyone should, should dig it. Um, that plus the fact that my girlfriend is like a super great vegan cook. Oh, cool. um, so, you know, just the quality of food that you're eating, it's like, whoa, you can actually eat like this all the time and get that really great experience of what you want. You know, you're full and you're satisfied and it tasted great. Yeah. Any yeah. specific dish that was kind of changed, oh. changed your consciousness on veganism? I mean, she makes a really good risotto, like okay. super good. Yeah. What does she use? Um, I, you know what? I have to ask her. <laughs> okay. She, she, she served it to me. It's very nice. <laughs> so you decided to launch Fora Foods with a butter and it is made with coconut oil and aquafaba. From what I can tell? Yeah, yeah. Coconut oil, coconut cream, aquafaba, some nooch for all you <laughs> nutrers out there. Mm -hmm. And so what was the process of developing the butter like? Uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty DIY. We were living in Chicago at the time, still had our old jobs, and we basically started going to Whole Foods and just picking out a bunch of different ingredients. We knew that we needed a fat. Butter is mostly fat. So what are our options from the, the plant kingdom? And coconut oil and coconut cream ended up being the best options. But this took a while, six to eight months, for us to get both the taste and the functionality down. So uh, it, it was not an overnight success. Yeah. Um, a lot of you know late nights, struggles, but eventually got something that worked. Right. We went through probably like 80 different iterations of this, but all the while, while we were figuring out which ingredients we we're going to use, we were thinking to ourselves, okay, well, how does each single one of these ingredients scale up on an industrial level? How do we fit this to a co-packer or you know a co-manufacturer's uh, industrial machinery? Um, so the goal, obviously, is not just to have an artisanal dairy-free butter, but to actually compete with commodity factory farm butter so that we can have like an actual global impact. So... Um, yeah, we were thinking large scale even while we were doing this in our kitchens. Right. And what what ingredient do you think was kind of the the link that really kind of made it all come together? 
I don't know if it's one ingredient. I think it's kind of the blend of everything uh, because we have the good fats, you know, they give it the body. The aquafaba is the emulsifier. It's clean label and it's upcycled from home manufacturing facilities. The nutritional yeast adds like a really great umami profile. Uh, but all of it is necessary together. If you take one out, it doesn't work. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, and so aquafaba is one ingredient that's had kind of a lot of mainstream appeal, like Sir Kensington's makes a mayo with it. It's in a lot of cocktails. Um, why do you think something that's seemingly gross, like chickpea brine, um, has been a real crossover for vegan foods? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a pretty cool ingredient. Um, it acts just like an egg white right. would, so you can basically whip it up and the water, basically what it is, is just water that's absorbed from the starches and proteins from the chickpea. Mm -hmm. um, so the fact that you can get it as a waste product, quote unquote, from you know hummus manufacturers when they boil their chickpeas, that's pretty cool because you get to use it when it would usually pour, be poured down the drain. And two, I mean, just the functionality is great. So yeah. I think people are drawn to this, and that's why it's become so popular. And I know that the word aquafaba just became an actual word in the dictionary, which yeah. is pretty exciting. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. And agreed, it is kind of gross. It's like a <laughs> snotty, viscous liquid. Why would you ever want to use this? Um, no, I agree with Aiden. I think the other point that we should make is that uh, I think this really gets at people's curiosity about food and how food can come from really odd and unexpected places. And this is going to continue, I think, going forward. Just people lifting up the rock that they've never lifted before and seeing something really strange and throwing it in a pan and seeing like what the hell this thing does. So it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. That's a great point. I think like all good foods in the world came from, you know, stuff that nobody else wanted to eat that someone found out how to make tasty and it was nutritious. And but that's how everything is. You know, aquafaba is just another product in that continuum and there's going to be more after this. Totally. Um, we talked a little bit before we started recording about maybe an old, a more old school approach to food that's happened in more the, in the vegan and vegetarian world. Um, and how do you differ, do you think, from like what's come before, like the earth balance or the, mm. the soy milk or something like that? Where, where does your approach differ? I mean, I wonder, I think it's just one of those things where uh, the, the food world in general has become more sophisticated uh, in terms of how the products are made and how they're marketed and, and branded, where a lot of the early vegan products just did, they kind of missed the boat on that. Um, more for a niche community. Uh, we kind of have learned from our predecessors uh, and from ourselves and what we want and are giving people a product that we think communicates to an audience really well, to a wide audience really well, and tastes really good and functions really well. So we're really offering no compromises at all. And the first wave of vegan foods were oftentimes patronizing. They would say, this is healthier, you're killing the planet if you don't eat this, and people just don't respond to that. Yeah. You have to communicate with them emotionally with a brand and a purpose, but also kind of seem like you're friends with them not like you're some authority figure because yeah. no one, we're millennials, we're rebels. Like we don't want to be told what to do, which is kind of true. So finding that right brand voice with your audiences is, is very key. 
Um, so I, I had mentioned also that I'd been in a fight with a farmer all weekend on Twitter uh, about uh, how vegan foods are taking livelihoods away from dairy farmers, especially in upstate New York. Um, have you had any backlash like that? Uh, what I do you mean, say to those people? I mean, I, it's an interesting argument to me because, quite frankly, like industrialized factory dairy farms are taking business away from local dairy farmers, too. Right, right. So, I mean, it's just like big ag in general. Um, I mean, our fight truly is with the factory farms. Um, I don't really want to put a lot of families out of business. I you know, don't want to be the evil one here, but the evil one really, which we should all be fighting, are the industrial animal ag that really uh, are causing major problems uh, for sustainability in our food supply chain and are just causing uh, huge detriments to our planet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and I forget what it is in particular percentage-wise, but the factory farms, at least with dairy foods, are in the 90s, mid-90 percentage of all the food produced. So, that I mean, that's the entire pie right there. Right. It's not just a significant chunk. So, we know that brands like ours and the, the family farms in Vermont that have been around for generations can coexist and everyone can thrive. Uh, so you, in your marketing, do have a lot of focus on Michelin stars, and you're in Italy for retail right now. Um, so is your customer the person who has a country crock tub in their fridge, or, or are you trying, like, who are you trying to appeal to? Who is your customer? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, we're trying to appeal to everybody who has an earth balance or country clock, crock <laughs> uh, tub in their fridge, for sure. Right, right. Um, and but first, the reason we're working with chefs uh, is because these guys are at the forefront of you know uh, progressive food trends, and we think that by aligning with chefs, a lot of other people will understand the value of this product and and catch on because they're somewhat of an early adopter community, and their testimonial for a plant-based butter will mean a lot for the retail consumer, right? Because retail consumers now, they look at dairy-free butter and they think about country crock and they think it's shit. You know, it doesn't taste good and it doesn't function. So when the chef says, no, this stuff actually works and you can come and get it in my restaurant, then that's the best testimony that you can can ever get. Yeah. Yeah, chefs are definitely having a moment right now, although I hesitate to use that word because (laughs) I think it's going to continue. So maybe it's just like chefs are going to be very important to the, both the pop culture and just the culinary landscape going forward. Uh, They're usually no bullshit people. A lot of them, while we're on this topic, are very like dairy butter purists. Mm -hmm. So if you can convince one of these people to take an alternative and them not want to throw up, that's an accomplishment. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, So, I mean, and you're coming kind of on the heels of like this massive success for Oatly, um, Mm -hmm. which keeps coming to mind when I think of your product. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I've I talk about this all the time. Like I've heard people order Oatly in a latte and then also order a bacon, egg and cheese. And so like that's profitable for Oatly. But how does that really move the needle for broader change and like people actually eating less meat for sustainability reasons? So how do you plan to convince those people who are repulsed by the concept the very concept of veganism to like try this butter and also make broader dietary changes? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm glad to see people going down this route of, you know, quote unquote flexitarianism and people are starting to understand the value of plant-based products and are making small decisions in their usual diets and lifestyle choices Mm -hmm. to promote that. Um, I mean, people are eventually are going to understand that our butter is just butter. Like, and that's 
the most important thing. Like food, you need it to taste good first and foremost beyond anything else. With all the great environmental benefits that we're, we're proposing with our butter, the fact is that it just tastes good and it functions well and it costs the same as butter. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of hard to argue with it, right? When you have our stuff in a blind test, taste testing next to butter and you don't know the difference, you're going to probably, I would imagine, choose the one that is better for the planet and better for you, right? Because why wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And consumer preferences are changing too. I mean, to step outside of the food world just for a second, you look at Away suitcases or Glossier with skincare or Warby Parker with glasses. Like, these guys don't make the best products. Like, product first and product only was kind of the old way of how you killed it in capitalism, at least in this country. And now you need a kick ass product, but you also need an experience and a purpose. And I think people will recognize that going forward. So, what is your experience that you offer? The taste, <laughs> the taste and the functionality. We, we don't, people don't have to step outside of the alternative aisle anymore to get what they got from dairy butter. Yeah. Like, our butter will remind you of like the great buttery cookies that your grandma baked for you. Like that's the goal right there. Of course, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So how much are you producing right now? And would you say, I know you're using aquafaba that would go to waste, but um, what kind of sustainability efforts, other sustainability efforts do you have going on in your production? Um, well, I mean, we are a new company. Right. Um, so we are we just launched nationally mm-hmm. with our food service distributor. Um, so we have been getting some great traction. Um, we can produce at any scale. So obviously, the more butter we make, the more... But, uh, you know, butter products we're going to put out of business and the more aquafaba we're going to use. So right. uh, from a metrics perspective, I would say it's nothing all that shocking yet, mm-hmm. but we aim for it to be, yes. Totally. Um, and so what else do you have planned? I know your company is named for foods and not just butter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, we, we want to make for a, like, it's, it's a platform for dairy alternatives. Okay. Um, so we will have a few other butter skews. So some other really cool flavors that we're going to roll out around our retail launch in the spring. Um, but we want to go into a host of other dairy products from whipped cream to frosting to dressings and so on. And so what, what were the recipes you guys were testing? I, you want it to taste like grandma's cookies. Um, when you were in your R&D phase, like what were you, what were you making at home? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've worked with chefs for a, everything that you would use for a buttery treat. I mean, I think the biggest, the biggest thing we have is that it actually works in like croissants, which are mm-hmm. obviously quite a technical baked good. Uh, and the fact that ours works just like butter, that was like kind of the, the jaw drop moment for us. Um, because obviously you can saute with it in a pan and you can like make pasta and whatever. Um, but this, the, our smoke point is higher than dairy butter is. So, uh, technically it's functionality is even more versatile and, you know, we've used it to make hollandaise and burblancs and bermantes and it browns in the pan. And, um, you know, every chef we've worked with has been super impressed and that's the biggest endorsement we could ever get obviously uh what which chefs are you working with that, that you can name right now um i, I don't think we want to name anybody <laughs> okay yeah no we're we have some really cool menu placements coming up sure. so we'll let everybody know soon you can, you can follow us on our website for updates at forfoods.com cool Stay so, tuned. <laughs> so what is the price point for the retail size 
Uh, right now, we're selling for seven forty nine for that's our uh, one pound tub, mm-hmm. and we're nationally in Italy right now. Um, and obviously, when we have our full retail rollout in spring, we're going to have a few more really cool flavors and products as well. Um, but seven forty nine right now, it should not break your bank. It should be right in the middle of the entire you know butter butter alternative set at the grocery store. Totally. And how long does it last if you keep it in your fridge? Uh, we have a six-month shelf life. Six months? Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. Cool. Um, so where, where are you eating now that you're, you're vegan? Have you found any cool places in your travels? Uh, yeah, we were just in Portland for some biz <laughs> a couple weeks ago, and we went to this unbelievable like Szechuan Chinese spot um, a little bit southwest of downtown. The name escapes me, but Yelp, it, it's the one that has like 10 million perfect reviews on Yelp or TripAdvisor. Uh, that's, that's a highlight for me as of late. And then in Brooklyn, when we first got here, we moved to Bushwick and Buna Cafe... Uh, over on, is that Flushing? Yeah. Yeah, over on Flushing is just to die for Ethiopian. Just mm-hmm. un- unbelievable. Go. <laughs> yeah, um, I think, quite frankly, like vegan, fully vegan restaurants have somewhat of a ways to go in terms of like meat alternatives. And, you know, it depends what you're trying to do, obviously. Right. There are some really great plant based restaurants out there. But, uh, like, our favorite restaurants in the city, like, go to Mogador, Cafe Mogador all the time. Go to Kiki's, places like that, you know. Uh, Screamer's Pizza is really good, though, for vegan pizza. Have you tried Polly G's Slice Shop yet? No, we haven't tried Polly G's yet. We know Grub Street and Eater are freaking out. (laughs) I think it's so much much better than Screamer's. Oh, damn. All right. But it's it's still not. I mean, I grew up on Long Island, and there is no New York Slice that's vegan that's good. Yeah. That's yeah. like still, still Polly G's. They're using Numu vegan cheese. Yeah, Numu is great. It's good, but yeah, it's still not. It's not hitting all the right notes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but uh, there's a lot of good Neapolitan pizza that's vegan still. So True. that's good. <laughs> um, you just came from a noodle place, so apparently you guys really do like uh, noodles. Oh, love noodles. Like yeah, <laughs> there's a tasty handful of noodles in Chinatown. Right, right, right. That was a, a lot of food to eat before this interview, and my eyes are just kind of slowly <laughs> closing. Awesome. Uh, anywhere else, like Chicago? You guys are from Chicago. What would you recommend yeah. there? Ooh. Well, actually, when I was just in Chicago, I, I had like Lou Malnati's without any cheese, and it's still really freaking good. <laughs> uh, Chicago Diner's that vegan spot there. It's delicious. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I wasn't vegan in Chicago, so right. I'm trying to rack my brain for a place that I would eat right now, but... I don't know. I'm sure there's a good list online somewhere if you're traveling to <laughs> Chicago soon. Totally. Um, so you guys, you know, you're running a business, but you do have a mission. Um, do you think that food is political and that, that cooking is a political act? Yes. Well, it doesn't have to be, but right. it, it definitely can be. I think, I think food is one of the most powerful tools in conveying some sort of mission, right? Uh, it's visceral. Everyone understands it. Uh, you, it's kind of like this intuitive thing that's for baked in, you know what I'm saying? Right. Um, specifically in our case, you know, you're just giving someone a product that they, they know very well, but, uh, it has all these great, you know, social environmental effects. Uh, and my first company, it was an almond company, but we had 
flavors from around the world that we import from like Lebanon, Ethiopia. And the whole idea of that company was to create a cultural exchange, but through like a medium that every American at a grocery store in middle America could understand. Right. So like, yes, there's different ways that you can, that you can do it. And I think specifically on like the mass, you know, CPG level where we're acting and not, I mean, you can do this in a restaurant too, but we're able to get in front of millions of people at a global scale to have real impact. So I think it's super powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Political is a loaded word. I would say, yes, food (laughs) ought to be political if the goal is to educate people and create a, a better sense of oneness among all of us. But at the same time, uh, politicizing food unnecessarily just to piss people off. I mean, we saw that back to our earlier point, we saw that with really the first wave of vegan food, which is to bash people over the head with a baton uh, intellectually to uh, belittle them and then hope that their behaviors are going to change. But that's been proven to not work. (laughs) Well, thank you guys uh, for coming on the show. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was great. Great to be here. Thank you. Thank you.